Amen. Let me invite you. Amen. got a lot to look forward to. Amen. Uh, let me invite you to turn uh, your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we continue our study through 1 Corinthians, and in particular, uh, this glorious chapter that deals with uh, a glorious subject of the resurrection, not just of our Lord's resurrection, but also of our resurrection. Let me throw some numbers out at you as you're turning. 3.2 trillion, 20 billion, 16 billion, 57 million, 250,000. Those numbers might not mean a whole lot to you and probably won't mean much to you after I tell you what they are, but they are significant. Um, 3.2 trillion. That's the amount of money that Americans spent on health care in 2016. $20 billion. That's the amount of money Americans spent on funerals in 2016. $16 billion. That's the amount of money that Americans spent on cosmetic surgery in 2016. $57 million. That's the number of gym memberships that are in America as of 2016. And here's maybe my favorite of all, and don't get mad at me. 250000 That is, on estimate, the amount of money that the average American woman will spend on her appearance, makeup, hair, and skin care throughout her entire life. A quarter million dollars. Uh, some husbands think that number's probably a little bit higher than that. Um, but regardless, when you consider these numbers, one thing's evident. We live in a society that places great emphasis on the body, on its health, on its appearance, and on its care, even how it's cared for after death. We want to live as long as possible, we want to feel good and look good while we live, and then we want to be cared for after we die. Now, what is crucial to us is that society not only places emphasis on the body, but Scripture also places a great emphasis on our body as well, especially when it comes to the resurrection from the dead. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has been dealing with some very important questions concerning the resurrection. In verses 12 through 19, he asks the question, what if there is no resurrection? How does that impact our lives? And we see that Christianity is useless, it's senseless, and we're to be pitied because we believe such a story. But last week, in verses 29 through verse 34, 
We saw how the resurrection changes our life on a daily basis. Well, now beginning in verse 35 and going through verse 49, Paul is going to give us a different angle of the resurrection. And he's going to tell us what to look forward to, especially when it comes to our body. We begin reading in verse 35. Scripture says this, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? (laughs) You foolish person! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of weed or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars differs, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dis it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in 2002, ABC aired a new program, a new reality show. And it went for about four seasons, and the name of the show was Extreme Makeover. Uh, The show depicted participants who would undergo extreme physical makeover during the length of the program. The participant was taken away from their family and from their friends for an extended amount of time. They were put on extreme exercise regiments. Uh, Some, most of the time, were given plastic surgery. They had their hair overhauled. They had their wardrobe completely changed. And then after an extended amount of time of being away from friends and family, everyone gathered together for what they called the reveal. They were going to reveal this new brand, if you will, uh, this loved one who had been made over. And the producers always gave you the before and after shot. And the results were remarkable. Oftentimes, whenever the participant would come out, the family would react with tears. They would be overjoyed. They uh, wouldn't sometimes even know how to respond to such an extreme makeover. And the difference was quite remarkable. But the thing about extreme makeover, ABC style, is that eventually all of that work is going to come to naught. 
because those people are eventually going to die. The, those makeovers don't last forever. Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that every believer has at least one extreme makeover in their future. And it will happen at the resurrection from the dead. In fact, Paul is telling us that there is going to be something so glorious and so marvelous and so grand that is going to take place with our body that some people even wonder how it's going to happen. In fact, the question Paul asks is a question that some people were asking at that time. And that is this. Well, if the dead are raised, how are they going to be raised? And what kind of body do they come forth in? Now, have you ever thought about the resurrection and what your resurrected body is going to be like? Uh, some people ask in the resurrection, will I still be as tall then as I am now? Or will I be as short then as I am now? What will I weigh in the resurrection? Get this. If I'm an old man when I die, will I be an old man when I'm resurrected? Or will I be a young man when I'm resurrected? What about children? When children die in infancy and they're buried and they're resurrected on the last day, will they be resurrected as children? Or will they be resurrected as mature individuals? What will our resurrection body be like? Some people wonder, will we be able to fly? Will we be able to go from one place to another and just twinkle our nose and immediately we will appear? Those are questions that some people ask about the resurrection. And here's the thing. Those aren't fairy tale questions. Those are good questions to ask. Now, some of those questions I think we can speculate about. Some of those questions we cannot truly have an answer to. But the good news is for us, there are some questions that can be answered. There are some details about our resurrected body and what awaits us that are given in Scripture. And those details are given to cause us to hope in that day when we will be resurrected in a body. And 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 49 serves as such a text that instills hope into the body of Christ, into individual believers, because it tells us what to expect in our new, glorified, resurrected body. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give us three expectations that come from this passage of Scripture, that regardless of whether or not we can fly or whether or not we can live in the water for three years or a million years in heaven or not, I don't know. But I can promise you from God's Word that you can expect these three things when it comes to your resurrected body at the last day at the resurrection. The first thing you can expect is you can expect continuity. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is the same person who is buried is the very same person who's going to be resurrected. There is no switch that takes place. Uh, you're not going to come forth out of the grave as someone new. And the same is true when it comes to our bodies at the resurrection. Our body will be personal. Look here what Paul says in verse 36. When they ask the question, what kind of body do they come? He answers, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. 
And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Here Paul uses an illustration, uh, a farming illustration. And Paul says that what a farmer does is he sows a seed. Now that seed has got to die, and that seed has got to be buried. And from that dead, buried seed, life will spring forth. Now it may look completely different. I mean, wheat does not look like a seed. It looks different, but it's the same DNA. That is the same thing that was planted in the ground. And so too it will be with us. We will come forth and we will look somewhat different, but it will be the same person who was planted. And the idea is that our body serves as that kernel. And our new body is as the wheat. And in order for us to receive the new, the old has first got to die. Now, there are some personal traits from Scripture that we can conclude that will be us in the resurrection. For instance, in the resurrection, we will maintain our identity. In other words, when Justin is buried, James isn't going to come out of the grave. (laughs) Justin's going to come out of the grave. You will know me as Justin in in heaven. I know Revelation speaks of receiving a new name and a, a stone and a new name on it. Only ones who know about it is the one who's, who's been given the stone. But do you know Scripture also tells us that we will be known in heaven just as we were known on earth? Jesus said in Matthew 8 that many of you will come in the kingdom of heaven and you will sit down with who? With Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. They'd been dead for centuries, for millennia at that moment in time. But Jesus says, we're going to sit down with Abraham. That's the same one who was in Genesis. With Isaac, same one in Genesis. And with Jacob, the same one in Genesis. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it was the same Jesus who was resurrected that was buried. And it was Jesus who said to Thomas and the disciples, don't be afraid, it is I myself. Now, of course, Jesus looked a little different because the last time they had seen Jesus, he was beaten beyond recognition and a bloody pulp. Now he was risen in glory. But we will maintain our identity. And get this, also in heaven, we will maintain our nationality. I'm a white, male, Caucasian, American. Well, guess what? I will be in heaven. The same thing. I I will not undergo some, some... National change in order to get to heaven, when I get to heaven. We're not going to be a uniformed people in heaven. Do you know what John says he saw in heaven? He saw a number that no man could number. They weren't all from the United States. They were not all from Israel. They were not all from Africa. But they were from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. Those distinctions will remain in heaven. Why? Because the beauty and the glory of the gospel and of God is seen in that. In all peoples, all nations, all kingdoms, praising the one true and living God. And so there are things about me that will still be particular to me whenever I am resurrected. And the same is true for you. We will maintain those characteristics, but also our body will be physical. 
Paul says in verse 38 of 1 Corinthians 15 that God gives it a body as he has chosen. One of my favorite books is A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And when Marley appears to Scrooge, Scrooge asks him, who are you? And Marley says, don't ask me who I am. Ask me who I was. As if he is no longer a person. He is a disembodied spirit, if you will. And I really believe that some Christians have that same mindset when it comes to heaven. We'll just be a bunch of Jacob Marleys up in heaven just floating around like like a bunch of spirits. But such is not the case. When we are resurrected, we will be in a physical body. Our resurrection will be like Christ's resurrection. Do you know what Jesus did after he was resurrected? He walked. He spoke with people. As a matter of fact, he touched people. It was Thomas who stuck his finger in his hand, thrust his hand into his side. Jesus heard. He carried on conversations with people. He could hear people and he could talk to people. Jesus tasted You know what Jesus did after he resurrected? He fixed a meal on the seashore for the disciples. He cooked fish for them. And he not only cooked it, he ate it. Somebody said, will we eat in heaven? Listen, that is one of the great joys of life. And one of the things I'm looking forward to is is enjoying the food in heaven. And uh, no doubt we are going to eat when we get to heaven. Jesus could see. I believe Jesus could smell of the fish he was preparing. All of that to say this. We will be as physical in the resurrection as we are now. We will not be disembodied spirits floating around in heaven. No, we will be in a physical body. And we will continue being who we are. God has given us an identity, and we will not lose that identity in the resurrection. There will be continuity. Expect continuity. But secondly, he tells us to expect conformity. Now, because of the effects of sin on our present body, we can't go to heaven the way we are. For us to think that we could live in heaven in our present body would be like thinking a bear can live in the bottom of the ocean. Body's not made to live in the bottom of the ocean. And so in order for us to be able to endure and enjoy heaven forever, some things have got to take place. First, our present body must be sown. That's the language that Paul uses in verse 36 through 38. Again, he uses the idea of our body being like a seed that is planted. All right, the seed is planted, the seed dies, and from that place... Transformation takes place and life springs forward. Again, Paul is telling us that our bodies are going to die. We are marked for death. Scripture says that Adam's transgression caused sin to be passed upon everyone for all have sinned. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto man once to die and after death the judgment. All of us have a date with death. Mark it down. There will be a day when we will see our last sight. We will hear our last sound. We will speak our final words and we will die. This shell will die. But death is not final. 
burial is not final. For a believer, when they are placed six feet beneath the ground, we do so in hope. And it's the same hope that a farmer has in the spring of the year when he plants seed in the ground. When you plant your garden, you don't plant your seeds in the garden and and walk away without any hope or expectation. You plant seed knowing life is going to spring up from that spot. And so too with believers. When believers are buried, we bury them in hope and assurance of knowing that life is coming forth from that spot. Thus, our cemeteries are not final resting places. They're future resurrection places. That's what they are. And so Paul says our old body must be sown. Our old body cannot endure nor enjoy heaven. So it's got to be shed. But Paul also wants us to know that our new body will be suitable. It's going to be suitable. In fact, Paul in verse 38 says God gives it a body as he has chosen. To each kind of seed its own body. Now what he does in verse 39 through verse 41 is he's going to show us how God has given everything its own body and everybody has its own glory. It has its own purpose. It differs. He says He's given humans a body, animals a body, birds a body, and fish a body. They're all different. Humans don't fly like a bird because our bodies are different. God has ordained that. We don't fly around in the atmosphere because our bodies aren't made for it. And each body has its own distinct glory. And Paul speaks about the celestial bodies of the sun and the moon and the stars all differing. And yet, they are all glorious. Um, this time of year is one that intrigues me. Uh, on social media, I follow several trekkers. I follow several different companies. Uh, and I love it this time of year because this time of year marks the beginning of climbing season on Mount Everest. And so I'm watching people make their, make their ascent up Mount Everest. Uh, for some reason, I have no idea why. About three years ago, I took an interest in Everest. I've read every book I could get my hands on about Everest, George Mallory, Sandy Irving, uh, the 96 disaster, uh, John Krakauer, all of those things. And uh, I've really become not an expert in Everest, but uh, I've just become, I guess, excited about Everest. Uh, Just something about summiting 29,029 feet above sea level. And watching people as they make that ascent. But do you know, you don't just show up in Nepal, trek to the base of Mount Everest, and then climb up to the summit of Mount Everest in a day or two. You would die. You know why you would die? Because your body has not yet adjusted to those altitudes. As a matter of fact, trekking up to Mount Everest, climbing Mount Everest, takes weeks and months. And before you ever get to Camp 4, where you launch off to go up to the summit, you've already made several smaller climbs up the hill, back down. Up the hill a little bit further and back down. Because if you don't, you could encounter or what uh, is known as altitude sickness. Some people, it's not serious. It's just sometimes difficulty breathing. Uh, sometimes a little, little dizziness will set in. Uh, it'll bother your eyes at times. But in several cases, it has been Fatal. Uh, you could develop 
uh, not just uh, dizziness, and you could develop not just difficulty of breathing. Uh, you could start coughing up pink, frothy liquids. You could develop a pulmonary or cerebral edema. And many people have died just because of altitude sickness. As a matter of fact, once you cross what they call the dead zone, which is 8,000 meters or 26,247 feet, once you cross that altitude, your body literally starts dying every single second you're above that altitude. That's why they call it the death zone. You've got to get up to the summit and get back down as quickly as possible. And in order to do it, you've got to have the proper gear. You've got to have the, the coats and the boots and you've got to have the glasses and have the oxygen and all of that. Why? Well, because our bodies are not suitable for an altitude of 29,029 feet. We are supposed to be able to live at the altitude of a 747 that's flying. That should tell us that. But do you know, on a much greater, greater scale, our bodies aren't made to live in heaven the way they are? It would be much easier for our bodies to exist on Mount Everest without anything than for our bodies to exist in heaven the way they are. Thus, in order for us to get to heaven and enjoy the glories of heaven forever, we must have a new body that is suitable for the environment we call heaven. We can't get there the way we are. And the glorious news about the resurrection is when we are resurrected, we will have the body we need to enjoy and endure in heaven forever. Our A. Tory says, we will not be disembodied spirits in the world to come, but redeemed spirits in redeemed bodies in a redeemed universe. So our bodies will be Suitable. So guess what? Expect conformity. That's why there must be change. But thirdly, Paul says we should expect superiority. Our new body is going to far supersede our old body. Let me say that again. Our new body is going to far supersede our old body. Paul tells us in verses 42 through uh, 49, that our body, our new body, will be greater. In verse 42, 43, and 44, Paul does a contrast between our old body, the body we're in now, and our new body. And here's what he tells us. He tells us four things. It's not on the screen or your notes. It's in right in verse 42 through 44. The first thing he tells us is this, that our sown body is perishable, but our resurrected body is imperishable. Look what he says in verse 42. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Now, what's that mean? Paul is saying that the part of us that is sown or buried is perishable. It will decay. It will rot. It will be eaten up. Job spoke of his body being eaten by worms. And that is what happens as a result of sin on this body. But the new body that we will receive at the resurrection will not die. It will not decay. It will not vanish away. And it will not return to the earth. But it will be raised in power and glory and might and strength. And it will never decay. 
Paul also says that the body that is sown is, is sown in dishonor. But then he says it is raised in glory in verse 43. Now what does dishonor mean? Well, the word dishonor literally means humiliation. It is a reminder of what sin has done to our bodies. It is a reminder of the effect of Adam's sin on our bodies. It, it is a shame. It is humiliated. But at the same time, the resurrected body will be resurrected, not in dishonor, but it will be resurrected in splendor, in glory, in extreme majesty. Paul says our body is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. Do you know our bodies don't even have the ability to keep their own lives? It doesn't have the ability to retain its own life. You can fight for it. You can fight for life. You can do all of those things and put forth effort. But in the final analysis of it all, no one has the ability or the power to keep their own lives. This body is powerless. But the resurrected body, it is going to be resurrected in power, in might, in strength like we've never known before. And then Paul says that our body is sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. Now this has caused some confusion. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, some people read this passage and they say, well, how can we be a spiritual body and be a physical body at the same time? See, there, we're going to be a spiritual body. Well, understand what Paul is not saying here. Paul is not saying here that our bodies are a spirit. Spiritual and physical are not synonyms in this passage of Scripture. Paul is speaking of the order to which our body belongs. When Paul says that our body is sown a natural body, what he is saying is that our body that we have now is a natural body that belongs to this present age, this natural order. But, but, our resurrected body will belong to a different order. It will belong to, it belongs to a different age. And that different age is what we call now the age to come. The age of Messiah, the rule and the reign of Christ forever, the spiritual age. And so Paul is saying that our new body will belong to that age. You know, and I think people are sincere uh, but I think they're, but I know they're wrong when they when they say things along these lines that that when someone passes away, well, heaven gained a new angel. Well, number one, uh, God's made all the angels that they're ever going to be made. He's not making any more angels. And number two, whenever we die, we do not become angels. We do not have a body like an angel. As a matter of fact, one of the glories of the incarnation was that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for a moment of time in order to suffer death. And so we don't become angels in the resurrection. We are the delight of angels. We are the intrigue of angels, if you will. They desire to look into the salvation that we have acquired and we enjoy in, in Christ. But Paul here is not saying we become angels or we become spiritual bodies that float around. No, he's saying in the resurrection, our bodies will be so much greater because our bodies will belong to a different age. It belongs to the spiritual, not the natural. And thus, our new bodies will be more glorious than the ones we have now. Now, to drive this point home about the natural body and the spiritual body, Paul is going to make a, another contrast here. 
This time, not just between bodies, but he's going to show us why there is a difference in the natural body and the spiritual body by, con- by contrasting the two federal heads of all mankind. First is Adam, and the second is Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is that Adam and all those who belong to him belong to the first order, the natural order, that which comes first. But those who belong to Christ, those who belong to the Lord Jesus, that they belong to a second order. They belong to the spiritual. And thus Paul puts it this way. Thus it is written in verse 45. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. He says the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Do you notice the, the contrast he's making here and showing how much more glorious Christ is over Adam? Adam was made a life, or a living being. In other words, he did not have life in himself. He was powerless. He was a lump of clay. God breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and then he becomes a living soul. Jesus was not so. Jesus was a life-giving spirit. He came to give life, not to receive life. And Adam was from the earth. Jesus was from heaven. And he sums it up in verse 8. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that all people are under the headship of Adam in that we bear his image and we have his likeness. Um, you know, there is in one sense that our bodies are made in the image of God. But ultimately, our bodies, because of the curse of sin, are in the image of Adam. This is what Adam is like. This is what he looks like. So Adam comes first. And then there is what? Then there is the one who is from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says at the end of verse 48, so also are those who are of heaven. The idea is that in the order of things, that which is natural comes first. Adam came first and then Jesus. And so too it is with our bodies. Our bodies first resemble Adam, and then in the end, it will resemble Jesus. And our new bodies will be as will be much more glorious than our old bodies as Jesus is more glorious than Adam. So our new bodies are going to be greater. Our new bodies are going to be more glorious. And here's the good news for us. Our new body is guaranteed. It is guaranteed. One of my favorite verses in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the men of dust, We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What is he saying here? Just as we are in a natural body, those who trust in Christ, those who know Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are assured of bearing the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We may look like Adam now, but we will look like Jesus at the resurrection. Doesn't mean we will have his physical features, doesn't mean we will be his height, doesn't mean we will be his weight, but what it means is this, our body type will be exactly like his. Physical, yes, 
but made for the spiritual age to come. Able to enjoy and endure heaven forever. Joni Erickson Tata was the daughter of an Olympic swimmer, uh, athlete, and she too set out at a very young age to, to follow in her father's footsteps to be an Olympic diver. Uh, but in July of 1967, as she was diving in Chesapeake Bay, she misjudged the depth of the water. And she judged, and as she dove in, she dove head first, and she hit the bottom and fractured her fourth and, 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 and fifth cervical levels, leaving her quadriplegic. Uh, paralyzed from her shoulders down. And since that time, she has uh, really had a burden reaching out to, to others with handicaps and sharing the gospel and sharing the love of Christ and sharing the hope of the gospel with, with many others. Uh, she's open and honest about her bitterness and the depression and the heartache she went through and even uh, the difficulty she now endures. But she gives hope through the gospel of, of Christ. And she, writing about this particular subject of receiving a new body, said this, I can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me? Or someone who is cerebral palsy, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts, and new minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible you know, one of the joys, I really believe, one of the joys of being in heaven would well, be there with people who all their life in this world endured physical difficulties, fighting disease, fighting paralysis, fighting other deformities that this world, uh, that they have experienced in this world, and for the first time maybe ever in their life, they will experience in a body what it is like to be pain-free, what it is like to be disease-free, what it is like to be completely free for the first time. What a joy. What a joy it would be maybe to be there beside that mother and father who all of their life gave their life, gave their, their effort to, to raise a, a, a child uh, with Down syndrome. To see the child walk through the gates with a new body and in a right mind. What a glory that will be. That's what the gospel gives us. That's the hope of the gospel. And you know why, what I'm looking forward to the most? One of the things that our new body allows us that this one will not. We see it played out through scripture. Moses. The friend of God, one that God communed with, had a request for God in, Gen in Exodus 33. He says to God, please, he's begging him, show me your glory. And what was it that God said to Moses? 
Moses, I'll show you my hinder parts. In, in, in other words, I'll show you my backside. Uh, in, in Hebrew culture, your backside was your least glorious part. So God is saying to Moses, Moses, I'll show you the least bit of my glory that I can show you. And you live to tell about it. Because Moses, there's something you've got to know. No man can see my face and live. So what does God do with Moses? God takes him up to a mountain. He puts him in a cleft and a rock on the mountain. And as Moses is in the cleft and the rock, God takes his right hand and he covers over Moses. And God passes by him and then he removes his hand. And Moses can just get a glimpse of the glory of God. So great was that glory that the people wanted him to put a veil over it because, because it was so, so, so frightening and so wonderful and so glorious. But God says to Moses, his dear friend, you can't look at my face and live. Your body can't stand it. But something amazing happens in Scripture. In Revelation 21 and 22, John describes a new heaven and a new earth that comes down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And he describes the glories and the beauties that await God's people in the new heaven and the new earth. He describes walls that are made of jasper, gates that are made of one pearl, streets that are pure gold as transparent glass. And People say, I don't care about the walls of Jasper. I don't care about the streets of gold. I don't care about the gates of pearl. I do. I want to see it. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. So, so I'm looking forward to that. Call me carnal if you want to, but it's in the Bible, so I can, I can look forward to it. And then he tells us that the city is so bright and glorious. And it's not because the sun is shining, but it's because of the radiance of the one who sits upon the throne and the lamp that is also the lamb who dwells there that lightens that city. And he describes the city to us and he tells us that in that city, sickness is no more. Disease is no more. Heartache is a thing of the past. Death is dead in that city. And then he tells us that tears will all be wiped away. And in the last chapter of the Bible, as he's describing the glories and the beauties of heaven, here's what he says. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. They will see his face. What is the difference in Moses in Exodus 33 and the servants of God in Revelation 22? Do you know the difference? A resurrected body is the difference. Moses' natural body couldn't stand it. Our spiritual body will be able to stand it. And so what do we have to look forward to, Beloved. We have an extreme heavenly makeover to look forward to. One that will make our bodies be able to endure heaven. And not just to endure it, but to be able to enjoy it forever. Because our Lord Jesus came to this earth as a man 2,000 years ago. He bore in his body our sins on a tree. And he died and was buried 
And he was resurrected to eternal life. And he says to us, as I live, you will live also. And today the hope of heaven can become the reality of those who will place their faith and place their trust in Jesus Christ. And so today I ask you, have you trusted him? Have you believed in him? Do you have the hope of eternal life? And do you have the hope of experiencing the resurrection joy that awaits all of God's people? If not, you can have it today if you will trust in Christ and believe in him. Let's pray. Father, as I come to you today in Christ's name, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the hope that it has. Father, I thank you for the hope that it has given. Lord, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of disease, and in the midst of death in this world, I'm thankful for a gospel that holds us and anchors us and promises us that there is indeed a better day coming. Father, I pray for those who are here now who may be grieving, who may be hurting, who, who may be going through heartaches and pains and, and Father, the, the problems of this life. Lord, I pray that their hope would be increased this morning, that, that the light of the gospel would shine through in their darkness and, and help them. I pray for those who are here who don't know you as Lord and Savior, who are not ready for that glorious resurrection. Father, remind them today, please, that there is going to be a resurrection both of the just and of the unjust. And just as we will receive bodies that will be able to withstand the glories and the beauty of heaven forever and never die, so too the unjust will receive bodies that will be able to endure the difficulties and the torments and the fires of hell forever, and yet never escape, never die. Well, Father, would you rescue them today? Would you give faith today? Lord, I pray they would come to you today. I love you. Thank you for the gospel. I thank you for heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.